what your country can do for you. There's a last time I've got to be in the lead. The Giants have the Peter, oh, you little mouse, so won't you go away? One ringy-dingy. Hand off to Griffin, cracks the middle, gets the five. Touchdown, Ohio State. Oklahoma, where the wind comes sweeping down the plane. I'm interested to know, Gracie, who's your choice? Need you ask, George. Time now for Spinning My Dad's Vinyl. Here with all his skips, scratches, and pops is my dad, Frank Vaccarello. Thanks, sweetie, and thank you for tuning into episode 49 of Spinning My Dad's Vinyl. Well, here's another collection of albums released by the Longines Symphonette Society, one of 12 my dad had in his collection. Now, you've already heard from a couple. This is a three-record set, and we'll be listening to selections from record one. So get ready for music from a completely anonymous source in volume 49, Birth of the Blues, part one.
There's the title track of the entire box set and a song you've heard before on this show. The Birth of the Blues, which was a popular 1926 song composed by Ray Henderson with lyrics by Buddy De Silva and Lou Brown. It was used in the Broadway review, George White's Scandals of 1926. Okay, why this record? Well, we've been playing a lot of Dixieland on this show lately, but I'm really a blues lover through and through. I prefer music using the 12-bar blues structure. It seems a lot easier to improvise to. So I grabbed this album because it features some early blues. What I wasn't ready for was the orchestration on some of the tunes or the richness of the sound. But true to Longines Symphonette style, I have no idea who played what on the album or when it was recorded. There's also two MASH connections and a connection to one of my favorite episodes of this show. In fact, we're going to hear that one next. The Rhapsody in Blue, a 1924 musical composition written by George Gershwin for solo piano and jazz band, which combines elements of classical music with jazz-influenced effects. Now, if you want to hear Gershwin play the entire Rhapsody in Blue on piano, then you need to check out episode three of Spinning My Dad's Vinyl. Head over to the website, or I'll drop the link into the show notes for you. Now, let's learn about the record I have chosen for this episode. The Longines Symphonette Birth of the Blues, Volume 11. It's on the Longines Symphonette Society label, number C711. It's in our Century in Music series, number 11. It's a three-vinyl LP box set format. It was released in Canada in 1974, and its genre is the blues. Now, there are no liner notes 
anywhere. The only other thing the front cover mentions is that it's part of a library of memorable hits from 1900 to the present. Now, let's see what Discogs.com has put it as its value. Uh, lowest, median, and highest all come in at exactly the same $15.73. Found a copy on eBay for $25.51 and one on Amazon for $24.77. Now, my dad's collection is in pretty good condition. The record itself didn't have too much surface hish, uh, surface hiss. <laughs> there were a few crackles here and there. The album cover is a box set and is in pretty good shape. My dad didn't have any labels on this one. So I think I can get five bucks for my dad's collection. But not yet, <laughs> because I still have two more albums to play after this one. All right, next up, our first and a minor MASH connection.
Stormy Weather. It was a 1933 torch song written by Harold Arlen and Ted Kohler. Ethel Waters first sang it at the Cotton Club nightclub in Harlem in 1933 and recorded it that year. And in the same year, it was sung in London by Elizabeth Welch and recorded by Francis Langford. Ironically, the Cotton Club was a movie I just introduced my girlfriend to last week. It was also a song that B.J. Honeycutt got the entire staff to start start singing during an O.R. scene on M.A.S.H. They liked to sing in the O.R. on that show. Now, since we have no idea who the musicians or orchestra leaders are in these recordings specifically, let's learn a little about the company that put this collection out. The Longines Symphonette was a pre-recorded classical music program broadcast nightly on many mutual broadcasting system stations from 1943 to 1949. It then moved to CBS, where it was heard Sundays at 2 p.m. from 1949 to 1957. The series was sponsored by the Longines Wittenauer Watch Company. The Longines Symphonette Society was a record label that specialized in releasing classic radio programs and multiple record box sets. The Longines Watch Company sold its record business to Warner Music Group. Reissues of the Longines record recording since the 1990s have been credited to the Symphonette Society and no longer have any reference to the Watch Company. Now, the second connection to MASH uh, goes a little deeper. If you're just a casual viewer of that show, you may not have realized that the actor who played Colonel Potter for eight seasons was a guest star in season three. Harry Morgan was in the episode, The General Flipped at Dawn. However, this character was crazy. In the process of bringing Hawkeye up on insubordination charges, he asked a black chopper pilot to do a little dance at the court-martial hearing. After the other characters showed how appalled they were at the racist request, General Steele then started dancing and singing this next song. And by the way, that role won Harry Morgan the spot as the CEO of the 4077th in the fourth season until the end of that series.
It's a treat to beat your feet on the Mississippi mud. A song written in 1927 by Harry Barris and James Cavanaugh, first sung by Bing Crosby as a member of Paul Whiteman's Rhythm Boys. All right, time now for this episode's interesting side note, and it has to do with the next song. The first version of the timeless song St. James Infirmary, in more or less its current form, is thought to have been recorded back in 1928 by Louis Armstrong in his Savoy Ballroom 5. The songwriting credit went to Don Redman, the saxophone and clarinet player, a veteran of Fletcher Henderson's band, and an arranger and a composer. But the composer of St. James Infirmary? That seems unlikely. Redman was just one of many songwriters who claimed acclaimed authorship of St. James Infirmary. It is indeed a song whose history is full of loose ends and question marks. It seems to have been cobbled together from motifs, bits of melody, and scraps of lyrics that swirled around for decades or even centuries in songs like The Unfortunate Rake or Gambler's Blues. Not to mention the fact that most versions of the song are credited to one Joe Primrose, who was not even an actual person. It was a pseudonym for Irving Mills Publishing. Of real interest to me, anyway, was the number and variety of artists who recorded this song and how long those recordings have been going on. The song was popular during the jazz era, and by 1930, at least 18 different versions had been released by various artists. The Duke Ellington Orchestra recorded the song multiple times using pseudonyms such as the Ten Black Berries, the Harlem Hot Chocolates, and the Jungle Band. Coco the Clown, a rotoscoped Cab Calloway, performed the song in the 1933 Betty Boop animation Snow White, which ended up influencing the White Stripes. In 1961, blues singer Bobby Blue Bland released a version of St. James Infirmary on the flip side of his number two R&B hit, Don't Cry No More, and included it in his album, Two Steps from the Blues. In 1965, Appalachian banjo player Doc Boggs recorded a version of the song entitled Old Joe's Barroom. The Animals covered it as St. James Infirmary on their 1968 album, Every One of Us. In 1966, Lou Rawls featured the song on his hit Capitol album, Lou Rawls Live. Canadian Brass created a nostalgic yet iconic version of this old folk song on their Basin Street Blues CD recorded for Sony and CBS in 1984. It becomes a languid, sad, and virtuosic trombone solo played by co-founder of the ensemble, Eugene Watts. The James Solberg Band recorded a blues version on their 1995 CD on the Atomic Theory label, See That My Grave Is Kept Clean. Now, even more recently, the White Stripes covered the song on their self-titled debut album, as did Van Morrison on his 2003 album, What's Wrong With This Picture? And actor Hugh Laurie House on his 2011 album, Let Them Talk. Isabel Campbell has also recorded a version of the song. In 2002, Jorma Kaukonen did a version of this, of his Blue Country Heart album, on which he titles the song Those Gamblers Blues and credits it to Jimmy Rogers. In February 2012, Trombone Shorty and Booker T. Jones performed an instrumental version as the opening number of the Red, White, and Blues concert at the White House, something I've got on a CD somewhere in my collection. The song appears on Ricky Lee Jones' CD titled The Devil You Know. Just an incredible list of artists over nearly a century recording this album. And I want to thank Canada Broadcasting Company and the website Jazz Fandom for that info. Now, let's hear the song I just told you about, except I have no idea who recorded it. (laughs) 
There is St. James Infirmary Blues, an American folk song of anonymous origin. (laughs) Well, I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I enjoyed bringing it to you. The music on this album had a much different sound than what I was expecting when I opened up the box that first time. I was expecting small combos, not the lush sound we heard on the album, but I liked it nonetheless. And finally... A song that originally went by the title, Jada Jada Jing Jing Jing.
Jada, a song written in 1918 by Bob Carlton. And there you have selections from part of a library of memorable hits from 1900 to the present. So thanks for tuning into Volume 49, Birth of the Blues, Part 1, however you did. If you want more information about this show, head over to SpinningMyDad'sVinyl.com. I'll be back next week with all my skips, scratches, and pops with Volume 50, Hollywood Hits. Until then, go with the flow, my friends.